So uh, we've been doing quite a long series, actually, a 12-week series on discipleship. And uh, today is the last talk in the series, but you're going to hear more about discipleship because this is something we want to get into the church. It's a, a cultural value, really, that we are all learning together about what it means to be like Jesus. So there's going to be more stuff coming out in the autumn. And in the autumn as well, we're going to start a new series, which is kind of part two of discipleship. We're going to talk about doing the stuff. We're going to talk about healing the sick, casting out demons, going on mission. You name it, we're going to talk about it because what the disciples did, we want to do as well. And I really believe that every one of us should be equipped in learning how to do the stuff. That's what it's about. It's not just about the professionals, the ones that are employed to do the stuff. I think every disciple of Jesus should know how to pray for somebody or lead somebody to Jesus. It's an incredible privilege to do so. So why wouldn't you want to do that? All right, so that's where we're going in the autumn. But today I want to talk about prayer. Discipleship involves prayer. You know, when I was uh, growing up, and it wasn't that long ago, um, I was a teenager, and we had an amazing, it still feels like I am one inside sometimes, but through my teenage years, early teenage years, we had a man living with us called Dave Weatherly, and uh, his picture is going to just magically appear on the screen. There's Dave, it's not a very good picture, but it was a few years ago, but you see it's still in colour, it's not black and white or anything. So Dave Weatherly was a single man in his late 60s, and he spent his whole life traveling the world, preaching the gospel. That's what he felt called to do with his whole life. And he was just an amazing person. He visited us several times over the years, but over these few months that he lived with us, uh, we got to know him in an incredible way. And he had an amazing impact on my brother and me at that crucial stage in our teenage lives. And he really was like no one I've ever met before or since, actually. I remember, for example, the first time I met him, we met him off the train. We've never met this man before, and we're at the awkward teenager stage. He ran out of the train, running down the platform like this, saying, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Precious brothers! Come to me like this! And he said, Oh my goodness, what on earth! But the thing is, there wasn't an atom of falseness in him. And that was what he was like. He was so enthusiastic all the time, so passionate for God. He loved people so much and he wanted everybody to know about Jesus. The impact of his life, I am still living in the good of. Uh, I don't think he was actually, I mean, he preached all over the world, but I can't ever remember him being a particularly good preacher. Um, All I remember is when he spoke, there was lots of exhortation and he kept saying, Jesus, like that, a lot. Uh, That was kind of how he preached. But, you know, it was his life and particularly the way that he prayed that was so extraordinary. You'd stay up long into the night and and pray. I know that because we could hear him. And then he would get up very early in the morning and pray. And I don't know, something about the way he prayed was magnetic to us. Uh, We were teenage boys at the time, but there was something about this man that was magnetic. And so often we would get up 
when he got up, sneak into his bedroom where he couldn't see us. And he was so taken up with prayer, I don't think he even noticed us. We would sneak in and just watch this spectacle of prayer. I can honestly say that it transformed my understanding of what prayer and intimacy with God was all about. Just watching that man of God. And I know for a fact (laughs) that my brother and I made it onto his prayer list. And uh, he would often write to us from all over the world. It's so exciting to get those stamps, you know, from different places in the world of where he was saying, I'm just praying for you. Just feel like God wants you to know how amazing you are today and stuff like that. I've still got one or two of his letters at home. He was amazing. And I thank God for Dave. Uh, but boy, did that man know, have to, know how to pray. And he was known for it all over the world. And it grabbed me then. And it still inspires me today. I've just managed to find a recording of his voice, actually. And just hearing that brought it all back to me uh, recently. He had an incredible impact on my life. And, and he, more than anything, he made me want to learn about prayer. And uh, because, you know, I still feel like I've hardly begun. I don't know about you. Uh, I still don't know if I really get prayer. And yeah, I'm going to speak about it today. So that was Dave. That was my experience. Now, think about how impactful that was for me as a teenager. Now, the thing that I've been thinking about this week is, if that was amazing, what must it have been like to overhear Jesus praying? (laughs) What must it have been like to hear Jesus pray? Because his disciples got to hear him talking to his father I mean, for example, the first time that it's recorded anyway, it was at his baptism. You remember what happened when Jesus prayed at his baptism? It says that the heavens were torn open and a figure like a dove came and rested on him. And a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, what kind of prayer must that have been? And then there was other times when Jesus prayed lots of, recording, lots of records of his praying throughout the New Testament. He prayed about who of the twelve should he take into his close, uh, close relationship, which of these men. And he spent a night on the mountain praying about who his disciples should be. Wouldn't it have been interesting to hear that? Or what about at the tomb of Lazarus? His good friend Lazarus had just died and Jesus prayed and wept outside his tomb and then called him forth and he was resurrected from the dead. What would that have been like to be there when Jesus prayed like that? Or what would it have been like just to pray as Jesus gave thanks for the meal and broke bread? You know, it says after the resurrection that his disciples recognized him because of his breaking of bread, the way he broke bread. What must it have been like? How impactful must it have been to hear Jesus pray like that? I'd love to have been a fly on the wall. And of course, you know, Jesus is still praying for you. It says in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, that he ever lives to make intercession. He's still praying for you and me. Wouldn't it be great to be a fly on the wall and hear Jesus' prayers for you and me? Wouldn't that be amazing? So is it any wonder then that the disciples, it says in Luke, came to him one day after they'd heard Jesus pray. And they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And interestingly, you know, there's no record of the disciples ever asking Jesus, will you teach us how to preach? There's no record even of Jesus being asked, would you teach us how to heal the sick? 
It's, it's an amazing thing, but it seems that actually just watching Jesus preach, just watching him heal the sick was enough. They could just go out and do it on the basis of his example. But when it came to prayer, there was something about prayer that they had to say almost involuntarily, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? Because we haven't a clue. When we hear you pray, we don't have a clue how to pray. Very much how I felt listening to my friend Dave growing up. Don't have a clue. Will you teach us how to pray? Which shows us, I think, that all of the disciples of Jesus need to learn how to pray. We actually need to learn how to pray. We need to be discipled. In prayer, because prayer is not easy. Has anybody ever found prayer easy? Uh, I mean, there are times when prayer is easy, and it's usually when there are desperate times, in my experience, where you've got no alternative but to just go and pray and pour your heart out to God. But generally speaking, prayer isn't easy. And I would even hesitate, I would, I'd even say, I'm hesitating to say, I don't think prayer is especially natural to us either. I mean, prayer is actually a supernatural work where we connect to God in heaven. So it's not even particularly natural to us. And it takes practice, discipline, persistence and organisation. I'm increasingly learning that if I don't organise my prayer life, I tend to just fluff around a bit and then not get a lot done or pray about a lot. don't know if you're the same, but that tends to be my experience. And so... We need to learn how to pray, and I think it is part of what disciples must do, actually. We must pray. So Jesus will often talk about prayer, and he says, when you pray. So the assumption is that you will pray. That's what disciples do. We will pray. And so in response to their request, the Lord Jesus gave his disciples and also us a pattern of prayer to teach them how to pray. So he says this in Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 to 13, and it's going to come up on the screen, and it says this, this is how you should pray. And this, of course, is the Lord's Prayer. Now, there's all sorts of different versions of the Lord's Prayer, but I think it'd be great if we just read this. I don't know if you can see that, but you probably know it quite well anyway. Should we all pray that together? Let's just pray the Lord's Prayer together. Are you ready? Okay, here goes. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. So we call this, this is called the Lord's Prayer. We call it a prayer, don't we? Which it is, but actually... It's a lot more than that, because this is actually a pattern that Jesus gave as a training tool. It was a kind of a template for prayer, which is one that we can structure our prayers around. And to pray the Lord's Prayer and think, well, I've done it now, I've prayed today. I don't think that's doing it justice. Just to merely pray the words of the Lord's Prayer is not really doing it justice. It's a heading, it's a roadmap for how to pray. And uh, as I said, prayer is difficult, especially, I think, when we're on our own. We can get distracted, we find it hard to focus or get any sense of progress in our praying. So I want to suggest using the clear roadmap of the Lord's Prayer to guide your daily prayer, to have a go, to try this uh, over the next few months. 
And so today what I want to do is just make the structure, the template of the Lord's Prayer really clear to you. And I want to give you a tool, which uh, Ruth is going to hand out to you. I want to give you a tool to help you to learn how to pray. You think, well, I've been praying for years. I don't need this. Well, great. You're doing much better than me. I found this quite helpful just to use it as a kind of a tool to discipline my thinking and to help me to pray consistently. And then perhaps at the end, we can all have a go at using it and, uh, and see if it works for you. Okay? I mean, I often find I just got, get stuck, like I did this morning. I just got stuck on the first one, which is Father. I just got stuck on that, and I didn't get very far beyond that. That's okay. This is a tool to help us. It's not a, a regimented thing that we have to follow. But I want to just take you through it. And you'll see that uh, it's a hexagon. So this is a hexagon that we're using because a hexagon has got six sides and because Jesus gives us six headings to pray around in in his model of prayer. Okay, and the so there are six sides, six headings, and the first heading is relationship. So Matthew 6 verse 9 says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Jesus begins his lesson on prayer with focusing our relation on our relationship with the Father. And he uses that word. When you pray, use this word, Father. And that's an amazing word. It's both an intimate word, which is literally Papa, and it's also a term of respect. Father is a respectful word. It's a title. So it's intimacy, but respect in the same word. And so this shows us in start in our starting place for our training on prayer that it's about relationships. It's about an intimate family relationship with God. So we start prayer with relationship, not a list. You know, many of us, when we come to prayer, we just pull out our list. Now, what are all the things I need to pray about? And we've been trained to read him, our lists in effect, even if we don't literally write them down, we quite often speak to God in a kind of list instead of having a conversation with him. I mean, imagine if you decided to communicate in your relationship with your brother like that or your mother or your husband like some people speak to God. So you might go to your dad and say, Dad, I've got this list of things that we just need to talk through right now. Will you just listen to me? Imagine if we had that kind of relationship in our family life. It wouldn't work very well, I suggest. Maybe in some households it could, but I don't know. Generally speaking, you don't build relationship by reading a list to somebody. So how would it be any different with God in prayer? I don't know if that's been your experience of prayer. Just praying lists. Or maybe you've spent a lot more time in prayer talking to God and a lot less talking with him in a conversation, in a relationship. So the idea is that Father is a picture of relationship. So you talk, yes, but you also spend some time just listening, just waiting for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Have a conversation, have a relationship. And it's our Father who is in heaven. So he's in heaven, so he's one who is close to us, he's our father, but he's also one who's very different, he's in heaven. 
So we're coming, when we come to prayer, we need to understand that we're dealing with the one who's in charge. He's in heaven. He's over everything. But he's also our daddy. And we are his sons and his daughters, his offspring, his royal blood relatives. And this is even before we've prayed. This is just getting the understanding, getting it clear, getting the foundation for prayer. Come close to him, be relational, and then consider your relationship with him. So often when I start with Father, I'll then start to think about my relationship with God. It's an opportunity to pray about my relationship with him. Now, how am I doing? How am I doing in relationship to God? Am I close to him at the moment? Am I intimate with him? Am I comfortable to use the name Father? Because something funny happens when we're not close to God. We don't want to call him Father. We'd rather call him God. There's a distance that comes into our relationship. So am I intimate with him? Is he my father? Is that? Am I knowing his protection and his provision? And I'll often take some time in that moment as well to celebrate my relationship with God, that I'm an adopted, blood-bought, blood-bought royal son. I don't know if that ever gets you excited, but that's pretty cool. You're a royal son. We are a royal priesthood. That's cool. And then you can perhaps take things a bit wider. So that's my relationship with the Father. How's my relationship with Jesus doing? How's my relationship with Jesus? How's my relationship with the Holy Spirit? My relationship with Jesus, do I need cleaning up a bit? Do I need washing at the moment? With the Holy Spirit, am I full of the Holy Spirit? Am I feeling his presence? Is he leading me? Is he directing me? So go around the triangle, if you like, of my relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Start with relationship and take some time to connect to him before we even come to prayer. So that's the first one, relationship. The second part of this tool is about kingdom. So Matthew 6.10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom, the Father's kingdom. We're still focused on God at the moment, but now it's his kingdom. It's like Jesus says in this, in this template that he's given us, yes, you've been fully adopted into God's family. You have every right to talk to him, but do you realize who your daddy is? Do you realize who he is? He's the king. And he's not just a king. He's not just any old king. He's the king. He's the king of all kings. And he has a kingdom. He has a domain of his reign. A kingdom of goodness and light. A kingdom that is so opposite to the kingdom of pain and darkness that we see all around us. And so in coming and understanding his kingdom, we're agreeing with him. We're saying, God, we like what we see in your kingdom. We want that here on earth now. We agree with the Father who wants his kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth. So what we're wanting in that aspect of the prayer is an end to injustice. We want an end to sickness, don't we? We want an end to death. We want an end to despair. We want an end to to torment. So we're asking God, say, God, let your kingdom come. Let your salvation come to earth. We want freedom to come to people. We want our communities to be saturated with your presence. We want 
peace to replace unrest. We want wars to cease. We want your wisdom to come. In all that's going on in the world today, we need God's kingdom to come. More than at any other time, it feels like. Everywhere you look, there's chaos at the moment and uncertainty. How much more do we need to pray this? And you could take this into situations concerning your family. Lord, let your kingdom come in my family. You know, the situation going over there or my friends at the moment, they're they're struggling with that kind of thing or even the wider community or the rest of the world. I mean, this week I, I found myself praying about the European Union negotiations as I was going a bit wider, saying, God, let your kingdom come into that situation. And into North Korea, I was in North Korea for a bit, praying about that, the relationship between the US and North Korea and Russia and China and those difficult relationships that are going on. Father, we need your kingdom to come in those situations. We need your peace and your order and your structure and your plan and your wisdom more than anything. We need you to give wisdom to Theresa May. How is she going to do this? We don't know. How are we going to get ourselves out of the mess that we're in as a country? We need God's kingdom to come. We need his order in our lives. Or perhaps somebody's suggested, and I've only just found this idea as I've been researching this week, and I think it's really good, but I've never done this. In fact, I did. I tried it out a bit this week. But they suggested that in the kingdom aspect of the prayer, you can pray over the parables of the kingdom that Jesus told. Pray over the parables of the kingdom. Because this helps to educate us into what God's kingdom is like. And it can help us to pray intelligently. And, hey, we get to read the Bible at the same time as praying. Two for the price of one. I think that's a great idea. Using the Bible as a structure to pray. So, for example, you could take the parable of the mustard seed, which is what I was doing this week, which says that the kingdom is like the smallest of seeds that grows into the biggest of trees. So I was praying, Father, let your kingdom reign spread through our community. Let it spread through everything in our nation at every level. Let it grow. Let it, it's so small, but let it become massive. Let my place in the advance of your kingdom be influential for your kingdom. Let our place as a church in our community, let the influence spread and grow so that God's kingdom comes, even though we're so small. Then I was praying, Lord, like the yeast through the bread, as it expands the bread, Let us be like that. Let us be expansive of your kingdom in our community and in our lives. Lord, let your plan be known. Let your solution come. Does that get you excited? Praying about God's kingdom coming. There you go, just some ideas of how we can use that part of the prayer. And thirdly then, Jesus tells us to pray about provision. Our provision, our needs. Matthew 6, 11 says, give us today our daily bread. And so at this point in the prayer, the focus changes slightly to us, to me. It's been on God, it's been on the Father, it's been on his kingdom. But now it's on me. Isn't that great? Jesus is happy for me to pray about me and my needs. Our daily bread, and that's much more than just bread, actually. Daily bread is just a picture that Jesus uses to signify our daily needs. Anybody got any daily needs? Anybody need to eat or drink or 
or live or be sheltered or clothing or anything like that. And, and, but the daily thing is an important part of the prayer. It helps us to understand that Jesus expects us to pray as a part of our daily walk with God. Because if you don't have your daily bread, you're going to be hungry. Okay, so it's a picture in the physical, which is also in the spiritual. We need that daily connection, that intimacy with God. We need that relationship in our lives. It's as essential to us as our need of daily bread. And as human beings, there are many practical needs that we have. If we're to thrive and not just survive. Who wants to thrive and not just make it through by the skin of our teeth every month, every day? We want to thrive, don't we? And God wants us to thrive. So we have needs of food and clothing and shelter, health and strength. Incidentally, when was the last time you actually prayed about your health and strength and thank God for it? I want to thank you, God, that I'm healthy. I'm reasonably healthy at the moment. I want to thank you that I'm strong, that I'm not sick, that I'm not in pain. We often pray about sickness when we're ill, but we don't pray about it when we're actually doing pretty good. Thank him for that. Use it as an opportunity to thank him for daily needs. Lord, actually my daily needs, I want to thank you for all that you've given us. I want to thank you for the safety that I live in at the moment, for the experience of peace that I have in my community when all around the world, I mean, we're spoiled to death here. You do know that, don't you? We are spoiled to death here. God has blessed us so much. But we have spiritual and emotional needs too that we can ask him about. But let me just say this, um, and I'm saying it because I love you and I want you to know how good God is. You know, if you don't know God as your father, if that's not the foundation of your prayer, you're going to find this part of the prayer quite difficult. My needs. My needs. I need to bring my needs to the father. You know, people often say things like, I don't want to bother God with these things. Or I don't think I could ask him about that. Or surely there are more needy people or more deserving people. And we're so humble, aren't we, when we pray? We want to think about everybody else, not my needs, surely not my needs. Or some other more important things. Prayer, I should only pray about important things. Really? Really? Is that who your father is? Is that what he's like? You know, I'm a dad, and I expect my children to tell me if they need something. I'd hate it if they went next door and asked them for something or they went to some other place or tried some, maybe steal something because they've got a wrong understanding of their relationship with me as their dad. And if that's the case with me, how much more God, our Father in heaven, who rules everything? We need to come to our Father and tell him about our needs. So let me just get this clear to you. Sitting down with your Father in heaven and telling him every day, talking things through with him about your needs is not bothering him. It's not bothering him. Actually, it's an expression of dependence and humility which he delights in. How about that? It's not, but you're not bothering him when you talk to him about these things. He loves it. He loves it when you just sit with him and say, God, What am I going to do about the holiday this year? Rob preached on rest and I've got to take a holiday and I don't know where I'm going to go or what I'm going to do or anything like that. Well, you're obeying what I've said, so that's a good thing. 
But actually, just to talk to God about my holiday, and I want to take my kids somewhere nice this year. How about that? It's okay. And why don't you leave it to the Father to decide whether your request is too cheeky this time? Why don't you leave it to him? Why don't you give him the benefit of the doubt that he absolutely adores you and he loves you and he sent his only son to die for you because he wants to be in relationship with you and he loves it when you express humility and dependence and you don't just go for the credit card this time. He loves it when you come to him with your needs and your requests. He loves it. Do you believe me yet? He loves it when you tell him how you're struggling. And I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills this month. He loves that. And do you know what? He may well just grant you your request this time. Because you've actually come to him and you said, God, I need. This is a daily need and I don't know what I'm going to do. Daily needs. Tell him what you need. Let him decide whether you're being cheeky or not. But I reckon he's going to give you some stuff that you've asked for. No, number four then, fourth part, the bottom there is forgiveness. Matthew 6 verse 12 says, Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So speaking of daily needs, remember that bit comes into the prayer about the daily emphasis. How about practicing daily forgiveness? I don't know whether daily forgiveness is enough for some of us. Maybe we need hourly, you know. Sometimes I felt like that. I need minutely, minutely forgiveness. But daily forgiveness, let's just start with daily forgiveness because that's what Jesus is highlighting here. And it's forgiveness both for the sins that I've committed but also for the sins that others have committed against me. Obviously, that's why I get concerned about whether daily is enough sometimes, you know. Um, (laughs) That's just my little joke, sorry. Um, But do you keep short accounts with people? Do you keep short accounts with other people? Do you keep short accounts with yourself and your relationship with God? Because that's what this is about. We all need to practice forgiveness for our own moral failures and shortcomings, but also those of others as they affect us. And these are debts owed to God morally and our sins which are breaches of God's holy law. So none of us are excluded from this. (laughs) We've all got daily needs, and we've also got daily sins and daily omissions that we need to confess to God. We need to practice forgiveness. And Paul says, doesn't he, he says, lay aside the weight that so easily besets us so that we can run. So that we can run. These are like daily weights that come us, and they build up and they build up when you don't keep short accounts. And how many people know that it's hard to run physically when you put on lots of weight? And when you try to carry things, it's hard to run spiritually when you're weighed down with sin and moral failure. So if you've been feeling heavy recently, and I'm talking spiritually now, not physically, are you feeling heavy at the moment, just a heaviness that's come upon you because these things have a habit of weighing us down or even sinking sinking us have you been feeling heavy recently how was worship for you this morning were you feeling heavy as you came to worship just a heaviness i couldn't open my mouth i didn't feel like it it's not just a mood thing there's a heaviness on you 
You know, one of the things I've, I've learned is, uh, to listen to my own tendency to sing or not. And I don't necessarily mean Sunday worship because actually I'm quite disciplined about that. But just in the day to day, am I humming and am I singing? I'm whistling a bit, just worshipping God almost unconsciously. For me, that's an indicator that things are well, that things are good in that area. If I'm not, then I need to pay attention to it. Maybe need to stop because there's some heaviness got in there. It's sin or it could be stress or it could be something else. But often there's something that's coming. There's something that's blocking. Practice daily forgiveness because it's hard to worship when you've got lead in your boots. Maybe some of you need to take off your lead boots today. Just spend some time confessing some things to God. And so Jesus is teaching us here not to allow ourselves to become habitually clogged up with sins, but rather we must habitually confess our sins, keep a short account with God and with one another. And so John writes, doesn't he, in 1 John 9, this is the ISV version, it's quite clear, it says that if we make it our habit to confess our sins, he is faithful in his righteousness to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what is your habit regarding sin? Have you got a daily habit of confession? How are you doing at forgiving other people? How are you doing at forgiving them quickly and readily? Putting things right with one another. And confession allows us to access the freedom of forgiveness, which is just about unlimited. Do you know you can be forgiven every time? Just about unlimited. And Jesus wants this to be part of our prayers because he wants us to live in freedom. Who wants to live in freedom and right with God? You can live in freedom. You know, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. That we can stand fast in the liberty in which he set us free. You can live in freedom. But it does require a daily exercise of forgiveness for freedom. Amen? So number five is about temptation. Matthew 6, 13, the first part of the verse there, Jesus says that we should pray, lead us not into temptation. Now Jesus knew all about temptation, even though he never sinned. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) I still can't get over that. And I just felt like I needed to say for, for some people today that temptation by itself is not sin. Even if you felt particularly strongly tempted recently, you know, sometimes we can feel guilt from association with a particular temptation that you're aware of. It kind of lives around you and you can't shake it off. Do you know what I'm talking about? That isn't sin. That's temptation. They're two different things. And God is never angry with us for being tempted. You felt that God's angry with you because you've got these things buzzing around. He's not angry with you for getting tempted. And although God never tempts us with evil, he he allows us to be tempted. Why? Why do you allow that, God? Well, he wants to prove what's in you. Because what's in you is, I don't want to do that. This temptation's bothering me. That's a sign of the work of God. Did you know that? When you think, I don't want to do that, but it's really tempting me, but I don't want to do that. Why don't you want to do it? Because of a work of God that's gone in, in, on in your life. He wants to prove what's inside of you, or he wants to deal with what's inside of you. So if you find that that temptation constantly is catching you out, there's something that God wants to deal with in that to set you free 
from the power that that temptation has over your life. Because why? Because God wants you to live in freedom. He wants you to live in freedom. It's not about condemnation. It's about freedom. And just in case you wondered if there was any higher level of spiritual maturity that you can get to, and you know maybe all church leaders they don't have this problem, or you know maybe just apostles or something like that, it's not true. There's never a level you get to when temptation is no longer a problem. Jesus was tempted, okay? So I rest my case. There's no higher level. Even Jesus was tempted and yet without sin. And we are all tempted, okay? There's nobody in this room that has not been tempted to do evil. Nobody. We've all been tempted, but we're not all tempted by the same things. So actually being aware of what it is that's tempting you at the moment is quite an important part of this. Being aware of it. So what are the things that are tempting you at the moment? What are are the things that could lead you into trouble that you're struggling with at the moment? Bring those to God. Because, you know, there are seasons of temptation that we go into. Seasons of temptation where something which hasn't been a problem for six months is suddenly a problem now. Why? Why is that? I'm in a season of temptation. God wants to do something in you in that time. So tell the Father about it and ask him in this part of the prayer, Lord, will you keep me from that bit of temptation? Keep me from it. Will you keep me out of that? Would you keep me out of reach of that? Keep me out of the opportunity of that. Will you interrupt my day? Do anything, but keep me from that temptation. That's what that part of the prayer is about. It's acknowledging the areas that I'm weak in and saying, God, will you keep me from that? Will you protect me from that? James 1.14 says, Each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and he's enticed. Which is a kind of fishing illustration. Dragged away by my own evil desire. The evil desire is the bait on the hook that we grab hold of and it drags us away to sin. Ever felt like that in a particular area of sin? You feel a victim to something. The desires that come over make you powerless to resist. A kind of magnetism to something. And despite your best efforts, you can feel it reeling you in, reeling you in, reeling you in, almost against your will. And it's a relentlessness that comes on it until finally you're captured. You've been having that problem recently. You've been struggling with that, resisting, 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 and it just won't let go. You need to bring that to God. You need to bring that to him. Don't be condemned that you're being tempted because that's the lie that holds it. Don't be condemned that you're being tempted because you haven't sinned. Bring the temptation to God. As part of your daily time with God, ask him to search your heart and reveal any lurking evil desires because we've all got them. Ask him to reveal them desires that would tend to draw you into areas of temptation and sin. And as he reveals them to you, confess him to him and ask him to break the power of that desire in your life and set you free. And then ask him to keep you from areas of temptation to which you are especially vulnerable. Temptation. That's number five. And then finally, protection. Matthew 6:13 again but the second part of the verse says but deliver us from the evil one the evil one 
Satan is still around and he's still at work. He's still as determined as ever to wreck lives, destroy the church, bring misery and heartache, discredit you, cause you to compromise, isolate you, beat you up, make you feel powerless and useless. Anybody felt any of that recently? He's, he's still around to, to try and do that. He's still around to deceive you, to undermine you, so that you never reach your full potential as a child of God. If any of you have experienced any of that, that's demonic. It's not you. It's a temptation. But it's also a lie that the enemy wants you to believe, because he doesn't want you to fulfill your potential as a child of God. Jesus battled with the enemy. I mean, how cruel is it that even while he was hanging on the cross in the extremity of pain and suffering, the enemy used people around him to mock him. If you're really the son of God, get off the cross and prove it to us. Can you imagine experiencing that temptation in that place of extremity? He doesn't play fair. The enemy doesn't play fair. He will often come when you are at your weakest, at your tiredest, at your most stressest. And he will come and bring just the right accusation at the right time. Often for me, it's just before I'm about to preach, something happens. Something comes along. Just when you're feeling at your most vulnerable. Peter knew a thing or two about demonic attack. Jesus warned him that he was about to be sifted like wheat. Do you remember that before the crucifixion? He said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows because of a demonic deception that's coming your way and it's going to operate through natural fear. Because Peter was afraid of being killed. Who's not afraid of being tortured and killed? The enemy used Peter's time of weakness and vulnerability to bring a wicked accusation and bondage into his life. So later, Peter writes in 1 Peter 5.8, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Wow. And there are all kinds of things that make us vulnerable and make us devourable. Trauma, fear, unbelief, unconfessed sin, unforgiveness, especially that one. Especially that one, over and over again, I find this to be the commonest form of demonic interference and oppressions in Christians. And so Jesus teaches us to ask for the Father's protection from the evil one. That this should be a part of our daily walk with God, our, our daily prayer life. Deliver us, meaning keep us out of his reach. Keep us slippery. I often think about it like that. If I was slippery, you wouldn't be able to attach to me. Make me slippery, God. Nothing, no footholds. He can't come near me, can't touch me. Make me slippery so that when he tries to attach himself, he can't get a hold of me. Keep us out of his area of influence. As James says, we're to resist the devil and he will flee from us. And so if you've been feeling any of those feelings that undermining that inadequacy, that just naffness. You know, have you ever had that, the spirit of naffness? No particular reason, but it's come on me. I just feel spirit of naffness today. It's often an indicator of a naff devil trying to bring a spirit of naffness on me. 
When we get into that place where we're feeling that influence or presence, I mean, perhaps you didn't even realize that those thoughts were not from you, okay? Did you, did you, anybody just, oh, crumbs, I didn't realize. I've been listening to that all week, like a tape playing in my head. I thought it was me thinking those thoughts, feeling those thoughts. Perhaps you didn't even realize that it was demonic in origin, okay? Truth will set you free, isn't that exciting? But when you become aware of that, then I want to just suggest that, you know, within the context of that prayer, perhaps, but even just in that moment, just say, Satan, I command you to leave me and leave my presence now in Jesus' name. Get out of my sight. I'm a child of God. I'm bought with his blood. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going down that route. I'm not taking that suggestion. So you just get out of here right now in Jesus' name. And he'll flee from you. He'll flee from you. It doesn't say resist temptation. Did you know that? We're not called to resist temptation. We're called to resist the tempter. And with the tempter being resisted, the temptation goes as well. Resist the tempter. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Deliver us from evil. I just wanted to make that one last point. Us goes runs through the prayer. And I think that's an indicator that actually standing together and praying with one another is also very significant. And especially when it comes to the area of spiritual attack, sometimes we just need somebody to stand with us and say, we're not having this, are we? Because one of the tricks of the enemy is to isolate you so he can beat you up. He finds it very hard to beat up a whole church, but he can pick off the ones and the twos on the edges. Deliver us from evil. So I want to just encourage that if you're feeling any of that or you're struggling with any of that, just get someone to stand with you today. We'll just pray with you and we'll just stand and say, we're not having that. We rebuke you, Satan. Go in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, now one of the things, because we're a charismatic church, some of you will be thinking, oh, I don't like this, a bit structural, a bit formulaic here, you know, I don't like that, that's not what we do. We're full of the Holy Spirit, we can just pray in tongues, you know. Yeah, I agree with you completely, but how about taking the Holy Spirit into this prayer and stopping, being more sensitive to him. So like I said to you at the beginning, I got stuck on Father this morning. I got stuck on Father and I went all kinds of places with that because the Holy Spirit makes us sensitive in how we pray. And in waiting for him, as we start to pray, as we set it out, say, okay, God, I'm going to use this. Now, Lord, will you lead me in praying through this prayer? And the Holy Spirit will take you as you pray about kingdom. You'll, you'll find all kinds of things coming to your mind that are from him about what's going on in the nations. And daily needs, all kinds of desires will come up. You say, Actually, I've never asked God about that. I'm going to ask him for that. Or sin areas, you need the Holy Spirit to reveal them. So bring the Holy Spirit into this and ask him to lead you and show you and teach you how to pray. Jesus says, I'm sending a teacher to you. One who's coming alongside. He's called the comforter. He's called the Holy Spirit. The one who comes alongside. He left us this pattern to teach us as a training tool, but then he adds the Holy Spirit who, who walks with us through these uh, through these areas as he teaches us how to pray. So as we close, we, uh, hmm, we've gone a bit late, haven't we? Uh, I just wanted to give you five minutes then, just to pick the tool up 
and just spend a moment or two just reflecting which one of those areas just stands out to you right now. Just do that. Just say, Holy Spirit, which of these areas is standing out to me right now? And just take a moment or two just to pray about it. Just let him lead you. Just let him help you in praying about that issue. I'm just going to pray for you. Then I'm going to leave you to pray. All right. So, Lord, I just want to pray that you'd give us a passion for prayer both individually and corporately as a church. I pray, Lord, that you'd release something in our prayer lives over the summer as we take this tool away and we pray through it. Would you release a new level, a new depth of prayer in our lives? Help us, Holy Spirit. Keep us from the evil one who doesn't want us to pray (laughs) and help us to connect to you as our Father and to bring these things to you for your glory and for your name. Amen.